All right, if you've listened this far, you know the deal. The book that came out of this podcast is called How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone by me, available wherever fine books are sold. Also, the podcast I do these days is called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Search any podcast app for Ride Home, and you should find The Tech Meme Ride Home, which is all the day's tech news every weekday in just 15 minutes. If you like this show, you'll love that one. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. This is Chapter 4, Supplemental Episode 4, an interview with Tim Brady. When you talk about Yahoo, most people know the names Jerry Yang and David Philo. They're the founders. But if you talk to people who were there at the time, like I've been doing, there's another name that everybody brings up. Tim Brady. Tim was Yahoo's employee number three. He wrote the original Yahoo business plan, and he eventually became Yahoo's product manager. And so as much as anyone, he played a major role in building the company that Yahoo became in the 1990s. Tim was also a college buddy of Jerry Yang's, so he offers us some excellent background on Yahoo's founding, and a lot of the thinking that went into the company's development. And since he was there for this as well... Towards the end, he even gives us an honest and frank assessment about why it was, and how it was, that Google was able to take the search crown away from Yahoo. So, please enjoy this conversation with Yahoo's Tim Brady. Tim Brady, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you uh, tell us, where, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up um, in the suburbs of Detroit, uh, about 20 miles north north of the city, in a, in a place called Rochester. And um, you have a you got a, a BS in electrical engineering from Stanford and an MBA from Harvard, right? That's right. That's right. So I'm assuming that you uh, you met Jerry Yang at Stanford. Can you tell me about meeting him? Sure. Uh, uh, Jerry and I were in the same freshman dorm. Uh, that's where we met. Uh, Jerry studied double E as well. Um, and we ended up going, you know, obviously to a lot of the same classes. Um, and you know, we just started studying together and, and became close friends, um, you know, over the course of our, our four years. Uh, and then I think you, you were in Japan for a while working for Motorola. Is that right? That's right. Right, right out of uh, right out of college, my first job uh, was for Nippon Motorola. Um, so I lived in just outside of Tokyo, worked in Tokyo, 
with the microcontrollers team uh, doing kind of technical sales. So you uh, reconnected with, you were there when Jerry was in Japan teaching English, right? Um, I thought, I, I don't remember Jerry teaching English. I think okay. Stanford had just opened up. So I graduated. Jerry continued on um, in double E. He's, he's kind of cut from a different timber than I. He was, <laughs> he, he was uh, both liked and very, very good at double E. It was, it was uh, uh, more of a struggle for me. Uh, so Jerry c continued on um, and was getting his PhD. Stanford at the time had just opened up a campus in Kyoto which was a big deal at, at the time in, in the early 90s. Uh, so Jerry went over there to, to study for, I forget, it was either a semester or two semesters. Um, you know, we had, we had kept in touch anyways, uh, but when he, you know, when we came, he came over there, we, we made a point of, of getting together as much as we could. Did you know, um, did you know Dave at that point at all? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not even sure Jerry had started his his kind of thesis project with with David. Um, in uh, you know, it was when I, w I was over there between 1990 and and 93, mm -hmm. um, and I think he and David you know started working closely together at somewhere around 92. So most of the time I spent with Jerry was prior to that, at least in Japan, anyway. So I, I know you weren't present for this, but surely you've heard the origin story of how Jerry and David started their list. Do you remember what you were told in terms of how that started <laughs> as a project for them? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, those guys uh, were doing something in CAD CAM. And, you know, at the time, the only people using the Internet or a large percentage of the people using the Internet were kind of doubly uh, grad students. Um, and so those guys were just keeping a list of the papers they used uh, to reference um, working on their thesis. You know, this, uh, this list continued to grow um, and it became very useful for a lot of the other people on the internet. So people would email the, these guys and just say, hey, can you put my, uh, you know, my paper or this work uh, on your list of links uh, it made it more and more useful, and, and the emails uh, started to come for things other than, uh, you know, around, you know, W research or software research, um, you know, and, and the list grew from there. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that Jerry picked up from, uh, from his time in Japan was, it was a love of sumo. So uh, it was a good way for him to keep uh, touch with what was going on in Japan in terms of uh, all the, the sumo tournaments. Um, and, and so I know that was one of the, the big early categories, but, uh, so anyways, it, it kind of grew from there and, and, you know, it was at a time where the amount of information on the net was, was very finite. Um, you know, so, so having a, you know, a, a list wasn't, there wasn't even a search on it, uh, just kind of, a uh, um, you're not even categorized, just a flat list, and uh, uh, that's how it got going. And I think they they initially called it, even though both of them were working on it, they initially called it, uh, you know, Jerry's List or, or something like that. Um, you know, and it grew to a point where they needed to start categorizing. Um, you know, uh, Philo started, uh, you know, building tools to help them deal with, you know, by that point they were getting, you know, hundreds hundreds of emails every day uh, to asking them to, to list websites on their list. 
uh, you know, and, and file write some code to, to make it easy for them to do it more efficiently. And it, it just kept going, uh, kept going from there. Do you remember there had to be other lists out there, maybe not as comprehensive as what they started to do, but were there other early directories out there that, that you think you can remember? Um, not before those guys. And, and that's not to say that there wasn't, right. you know, I was kind of introduced to it through Jerry. So, uh, it, you know, what they were doing was obviously the first thing, uh, that I ran into. Um, I know there were other lists. They, they, you know, it's been a while, but if, if memory serves, I remember most of those lists were, were relegated to specific areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these guys were really the first attempt to, to do everything. So from what I've been able to gather at some point in, I don't know, mid, late 94, Jerry calls you just as a friend saying, hey, take a look at this project that we're doing. And did you know about the web back then at all? Uh, yeah, I did, but but uh, very little uh, relative to them. Um, you know, Jerry, uh, obviously a good friend from un- undergrad. He, I, at the time, I was at, I was at Harvard Business School, um, and Jerry was out in Boston, and he came out, and he actually sat in on a couple cl- of my classes. Um, and this is, I think this is the summer of 94, um, and he didn't even mention it uh, to me, or kind of late fall uh, 94, didn't even mention it to me at that time, even though he had been working on it for a few months. Um, you know, he knew what I was, uh, I was looking for a job, obviously, out, out of business school, called me in, in late fall, kind of early um, early winter and, and, you know, started telling me about, uh, what he and David had been up to. I, they started it in March of 94. And, and, uh, you know, at the time, you know, Silicon, Silicon graphics was the hot company in the Valley. And, and, uh, you know, as undergrads, Jerry and I, uh, had always talked about, wow, wouldn't it be great to start a, a company at some point? And, um, uh, you know, so the idea of working him, with him was, um, you know, something that I, I would love to do, uh, or he knew I was interested in. And, and, um, so he said, Hey, why don't you, I'm not sure if what Dave and I are, are doing is going to amount to much, but, um, things are starting to take off. Um, you know, we had 10,000 users last month, uh, which was an amazing number at that time. It sounds, you know, it's, it's, it's a blip today, but at the time it w- it was a big deal. He's like, you know, I don't know how fast this thing's going to go, but how about if you maybe try to get a job at Silicon Graphics and then, you know, you can, you can moonlight, uh, with Dave and I, um, and, and that was kind of the idea in, you know, November, December. Um, so I, you know, I took my, my Christmas break or my year end break from business school, flew out to California and hung out with those guys and, and kind of got an idea of what they were up to and, um, you know, as, as luck would have it, you know, at business school, I needed to write, uh, I had five classes in, in the spring and I needed to write a, a few business plans. Uh, and those guys were in the process of, of raising money and, and they needed at the time, uh, you don't need that so much anymore in Silicon Valley, but at the time you needed kind of a full fledged business plan, uh, at least to carry around with you. Not that they necessarily looked at it, uh, the venture capitalists looked at it, but, uh, so I wrote, uh, I took kind of down all their ideas, put it into a, you know, a business, a business plan format, uh, and sent it back to them. And 
was able to use that uh, for my classes that <laughs> that semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those guys uh, went off and started raising money. You know, and, and and my idea was like I would graduate in June, uh, June '95, and and then you know go out there and and work moonlight with those guys. Um, but it became uh, clear pretty quick that things were growing much faster than anyone had foreseen. And, and, um, uh, I couldn't wait to June anymore. And I remember getting, uh, the call from, you know, they ended up taking money from Sequoia capital and the partner there was Mike Moritz. And I remember getting a call from Mike and, and Mike was saying, Hey, you know, Tim, we, we don't need you in, in June anymore. And I was like, what, what do you mean? I was, I was crushed and I was looking forward to it. And he's like, we, you know, in, in his, his accent, he's like, we need you, we need you this month. Uh, and if, you know, the, the ship is sailing, so you're either in or you're out. Um, you know, and that was in, that was in late January, I think February. So when, when Moritz calls you and tells you that, are, is it because you, you wrote the business plan, are you sort of quasi officially working with Yahoo at this point? I was working with them and, and, you know, it's, it's, it was Jerry and Dave's company unquestionably, but I, I think both those guys wanted, uh, thought it was a good idea to bring on, um, uh, two more people immediately. Uh, me and there's, uh, the fourth was a, a guy named, uh, Donald Lobo, um, who David had worked with at his job prior to grad school, uh, at Caden software. So, you know, they, when they accepted the money from Sequoia, you know, I, their, their first, their, their first action was try to bring folks on and, and, um, you know, they asked Mike to help them do that. Um, do you remember, uh, the, the business plan did, was it even from the very beginning, was the revenue model going to be advertising? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, you know, we, we weren't the first to do advertising, um, online. Uh, we were the first ones to do it in a big way and, and really, and be a company based on that. Wired Magazine, you know, they had their Hot Wired, their online presence was called Hot Wired. And, you know, they sold ads very early on. Um, so, uh, and I remember using, you know, their sales material kind of as, uh, as things to look at to, to write the plan. You know, granted, they, they were making their money off the magazine and, and not online, but they had started uh, before really anyone else. Um, before I actually get on to, to, to that sort of stuff, was there how difficult a decision was it to to jump over and, and, and do Yahoo? I know you were almost done with school, but was there any uh, what is this? Is this going to be a real thing or, or were you a, a believer from day one? Well, it's really it's really hard to to know. I you know um, I know I wanted to do something small. I wanted to do something in the startup space, um, and this seemed like you know. And I had been looking for a while, and 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 this seemed like a really good opportunity. Um, you know, being good friends with uh, with Jerry. You know, I look forward to building a company with a friend. You know, it was it was really wasn't what was driving me was was that kind of the, the idea of, of building a startup in Silicon Valley. It wasn't necessarily, you know, this was before the internet was the internet. Um, uh, 
you know, I had really no idea how quickly things would get big or how big the internet would get. It seemed like, it seemed like a great opportunity, but you know, back in 94, you just, no one knew how fast people would get on the net. We just, we just really didn't have an eye. So it just seemed like a, it seemed like a great idea, a great option. Um, you know, uh, whether it was worth leaving school for, you know, was kind of a, a different question. Um, you know, and, and when I was at business school, I, you were Harvard business school at the time, you were allowed to fail a certain number of classes, um, and still graduate, um, over the course of your two years, it's a two year degree. Uh, I hadn't failed any at up to that point. So if memory serves, you know, I think I could have failed three out of my five that was taking that semester and still, uh, and still have graduated. So, you know, I spent, uh, time with each of my professors and talked to them and talked about the opportunity. And, you know, a few of them were like, look, this looks like a good opportunity. This is, this is, you go to business school to, to get good opportunities. This seems like a good one. You know, I convinced myself that, that if I did a certain amount of work and I talked with these professors that, you know, turned into business plan and it did some other things, I could, I could pass, uh, you know, at least three of those five classes. So, um, from, you know, by working from the West coast. So I kind of convinced myself that, um, you know, I could leave and join those guys right away. So to cycle back just a bit, I know you weren't necessarily around for, for the money raising period, but did, did they have any trouble raising money? Because, you know, it seems like even at the time, but especially now in retrospect, I mean, it's sort of, it's a directory. There's no real technology there and there's not really anything that someone else couldn't just copy that someone could come along with bigger money and more resources. So did they have a hard time, uh, convincing VCs that, that this could be a real company? You know, they, they didn't, um, uh, they realized, first of all, they got, they, they got a ton of offers from industry. Um, I remember sitting in their trailer in December of 94, um, you know, and they had a, a voicemail system and, you know, the, the head of Los Angeles times was calling AOL was calling. Um, and those were just the ones that were on the voicemail that, that day, uh, while I was sitting in their trailer, um, all with kind of an overture to, to, to take them out. Um, uh, they didn't have, they didn't have trouble raising money. Right. That said, you know, uh, you know, I think Mike Moritz at Sequoia understood exactly what he was getting into. He realized it was, um, potentially not super defensible. And I think what he bet on, and obviously Mike, Mike would be the person to talk about uh, what he saw in Jerry and Dave. But you know, these guys understood what they were doing, why they were doing it. They were part of the Internet culture at the time. What I mean by that is, you know, the Internet, as I mentioned, kind of the people on the Internet were largely highly technical people. There was not a mass consumer market in any way. Uh, and there was... You know, there was a certain etiquette to the place um, that that no longer exists. But, you know, Jerry and Dave understood where it was and what needed 
to kind of happen, to continue to grow given the current people on the internet, but also saw it probably before anyone else becoming mainstream and, and knowing what they needed to do to kind of make it a, um, a mainstream media property. And I think that's what Mike, Mike saw in those guys. And it sounds really simple now, but at the time it, it, it was, um, it was more complicated than that. And, and to understand that and to do the right things, uh, was, it just wasn't an obvious thing. Right. Um, and it, you know, on the internet at the time, because there was a finite, finite amount of content and a finite number of people, if you got a bad reputation, you know, things could go south pretty fast. Well, speaking of, of reputations, I mean, how important was it, uh, the relationship with Netscape being, being that button in Navigator, having, having the default directory button uh, point to Yahoo? Um, you know, it's, it's early on, I think it was very important, no question about it. And, and, um, you know, what, I, I don't know if you, you know, this story, um, but it's probably worth telling, you know, Stan, uh, Jerry and Dave put their list on Stanford's machines early on. Right. It was running off the Stanford network. Uh, and they became a, I don't know what the percentage was, but a large percentage of the, of Stanford's traffic and, and, uh, uh, Stanford's network started to slow, uh, and they traced it back to those guys. And and um, the administrator said, "Hey, you 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 got 30 days to get off our network. Uh, this has got nothing to do with your research." Uh, and they, I forget how they got connected. Uh, I think, uh, anyways, they got connected with Mark and Drayson, and and Mark, who had gotten funding from from uh, Jim Clark at the time. Uh, offered to, to host for a little while um, mm -hmm. un, until Jerry and Dave, uh, or until we at the time, um, got our own network and, and kind of formed a company. Uh, and and so, it, not just pointing to us, but you know they were they were supportive in, in more than just the button. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened, and we eventually got off off their network a, a few months later. Um, but you know Netscape's goal was to get people online as well. Uh, and, and since at the time we were probably the, certainly the best thing out there for newcomers to the web, uh, for introducing people to the web, we made it very, uh, consumable, if you will, useful. Um, you know, it was there, it was in their interest to, to point to things, uh, that did that. Um, so, you know, I, I think we were we were beneficial to each other. It certainly helped us. Um, you know, at some point, once the momentum had started and people were getting on uh, the internet, with regardless of whether you know they they found it through Netscape or not, you know, Netscape decided to to sell that button. Um, you know, the, when competition popped up. Uh, we had Lycos and Excite and a few other competitors, um, you know, and Netscape was, was trying to figure out their business model. They realized the value of that button on the browser <laughs> that pointed mm -hmm. the directory. And so they, they auctioned it off, um, and Excite, uh, won it. And I think they paid at the time 5 million bucks mm -hmm. for a year. I think that's what the number is. Um, 
but I remember that day very, very clearly. Um, you know, we, we had no idea how important that button was. Um, and we were worried once we lost the button, we would, our business would die, right? This is, I believe at the end of 95 is when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the button was supposed to switch over on January 1, you know, 1996. Uh, I, I think that's the right date. Anyway, so, you know, we were, uh, you know, our business model didn't allow us to bid, bid what Excite bid. Um, and, you know, the day we came off the button, we just sat there looking at the logs going, okay, do we have a business or not? Uh, meaning, you know, is our traffic going to, were we so reliant on Netscape that, that you know, our traffic was going to die? Uh, and it didn't. In fact, you know, it, it uh, stayed flat for a few days and then continued to go up. Um, you know, and that in my mind was the day when we knew we had, you know, we, we had a real business, um, from a, uh, I guess you had a real business before that we were just going to have to buy traffic, but, but, uh, you know, business in, in where we can generate our own, uh, usership. Well, you can stand on your own two feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, so when I spoke with John Danner of, of net gravity, he described, you know, having a meeting pitching you guys his early advertising prototype and he says that you essentially say to him you know that's exactly what we're looking to do can you get this set up for us yesterday um yeah was there was there any concern at all that 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 advertising would chase the users away also oh completely (laughs) i remember uh so you know, we had August 1st, 2000 or 1995 was, was the first day we put advertising up. Um, and until then, you know, we, we essentially had no graphics on the site, minimal graphics. I think we had, um, you know, we had a little new graphic to signify a website that was new. And we had, you know, this light editorial voice. We put these sunglasses on sites that we thought were cool. Um, and that was, that was largely for bandwidth concerns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the background was, you know, gray, um, or whatever the default was on the browser. Um, even the word Yahoo was, was text. Um, so, you know, in, in the movement to put ads on, on the site, we, you know, we got a graphical, uh, logo and, and made some changes and we made those changes, um, on August 1st. Uh, and you know, I remember putting up the site and Donald Lobo, uh, you know, essentially, you know, hitting the button, hitting the return button that, that put it up. And I remember him just kind of putting his head down on the desk and saying, we just fucking sold out. <laughs> um, cause he was from that, you know, he's from that internet culture and the idea of putting ads even to him, uh, was, was kind of, a uh, a bad, you know, a, a tough move. And of course, you know, the email, uh, the email box was immediately flooded with, with people bad mouth as bad mouthing us and, you know, telling us to take it off and what are you doing? And you're ruining the net. And, um, again, it's that thing of, of bridging the internet from where it was, um, to, to where it, it had the potential to go. you right. And it was, 
and each one of those steps, you know, you brought that type of response from kind of the, the old culture. Um, what are you doing? You're screwing things up. Things are fine the way they are. Um, you know, and it was, it was tough to know, right. You know, it was, it, it was hard to, to know if we were doing the right thing at the time. Um, you know, not that we had as a business, we're not, didn't have a whole lot of other options kind of at our disposal. Um, but still. So that first year, um, you're, you've got money now, so you're hiring people. Are you, you're hiring, some of the people are actually sort of professional browsers, right? The people that are adding new sites to the, the directory and things like that? That's right. We, we call them surfers. Um, and again, you, you know, one of the things that's hard to get your, your arms around now, given, given where we're at, is, you know, there's a finite amount of information on the net. Um, and, you know, the full text searches, you know, thing, you know, the, the kind of the page link algorithm, uh, because the internet was still kind of in its infancy, if you will, uh, things like that didn't work. And full text search was, was a wholly unsatisfying experience. So, um, finding the front doors to websites and then categorizing those was our huge value add, right? And for people getting on the net, um, that's what they wanted out of us. And, and that's what we, we did a very good job of that. Um, and you could search, you know, the titles of the websites and kind of their description. Um, but, but, you know, the whole idea of, of finding, you know, a phrase five level down, five levels down on, on a website. Well, the, the, I, the notion existed, the experience was, was awful. So, um, you know, a directory of websites is, is what we built. And so we had a, uh, a group of folks that we called surfers who would look for new websites and uh, kind of cull through the the email box of all the people asking to be listed uh, in our directory. Um, and what are tell me what the the roles that that Jerry and Dave are playing <sighs> are in, around this time period in this first year or so. Um, they, they, you know, split up, um, you know, really early on it was, you know, every, everyone did everything, um, you know, coding to answering the phone or, you know, to, to whatever needed to get done. Uh, but pretty quickly after, we, after we raised money, um, you know, Philo took over, um, uh, kind of all the engineering and then Jerry became kind of the, the, the face of the organization. There was so much press. Um, uh, and, and helping explain to the rest of the world and to new employees what the internet was about, what it could become, um, you know, that's how, that's how they divvied things up. So, you know, Jerry spent a lot of time, uh, on sales calls and, and, uh, speaking with investors and, um, kind of on the management side of things, whereas, whereas Philo and, and Lobo, uh, built out the engineering organization and and what are you doing Every, everything else yeah so I'm, I'm i was on marketing and product um so uh design figuring out what we should add to the website um uh you know doing doing marketing outward bound marketing but you know there was so much inbound requests that, that wasn't particularly uh, uh a big priority at the time 
And what are your what are your hours and and days like? Is is it the 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 sort of you know thirty hour days that only twenty year olds can pull off and things like that? Yeah, you know, physically I couldn't do it again. Um, it was um, really really long hours. That you know, I, I I don't know exactly what what the numbers are, um, but it was seven days a week, and it was um, you know it was probably between uh, 16 and 18 hours a day. Um, so I roomed with Philo and we lived maybe a hundred yards away from, from the office. Um, so we didn't need a car. We just kind of walked back and forth. But even though we were that close, you know, Philo wouldn't come home for weeks, right? Uh, you would just, you would sleep at the office. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just remember his, you know, we had a two room apartment and he had a futon in his room and, you know, I'd get the mail and I would just throw the mail on his futon. And, you know, there were times where I'd, I'd walk by his room and there's just a pile of mail he hasn't opened up in a, in a couple of months. Um, you know, and, and he clearly hadn't slept on the futon cause all the mail was in the center of the futon. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was hard, but it, it was physically hard, but, but mentally it was easy because it was so much fun, right? It, it was one of those things where every day things continued to grow. Uh, we got such, you know, even though we got some negative feedback from kind of the, the old culture uh, or the fading culture, if you will, from the internet, we, we got so much positive feedback from uh, people getting online. It just, it just really energized you and allowed you to, to, to keep going. Um, you know, we, when it was just the four of us, I remember, uh, uh, leaving the office. I, you know, I forget, I forget when it was, uh, um, I must've left probably 1am or something like that and, and got back in at seven or something like that. And there on the whiteboard, Lobo had wrote had written, uh, you know, slacker watch Brady, you know, left at 1am or something like that. Uh, you know, just kind of shaming me into, uh, uh, working harder. Um, you know, even though we were going, we were going full tilt. So, well, let's talk a little bit about the, the, um, competition that's out there at the time, all the other search sites, you know, excite, uh, web crawler, like us, they're doing text search. So it's, yeah. it, it's a technical product and, and, and you guys are doing human powered directory essentially. Um, how were you guys at all concerned that at some point that, that, that the bots would get better than what you guys would be capable of doing? Uh, no, we weren't right. We, we always felt again, you know, now, now it's the notion seems silly, but when, when there's a finite amount of information on the web, um, what we were doing made a whole lot of sense. Uh, the, the full text experience at that time was, was not very good. And because we had such a good market position, what we were doing was if you search for a term that didn't have uh, a website, we would, what we called a fall off search. We would automatically put you into a full text search, uh, of, of one of our competitors. Um, you know, at the bottom of every search result on Yahoo was, uh, a contextual link to all our competitors that took you on a full text search. Um, and you know, that evolved over time, but we never saw, 
the power we didn't foresee the power of of what PageLink could do and and what Google ended up doing. We always thought it would be a it would be a leapfrog business, um, but they would be incremental leaps. And we, because of our market position at the time, we had the we had the opportunity to you know partner with those folks and use them as as uh, a search result, kind of the secondary search result if there was nothing in our directory. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What about uh, competitors like Microsoft or AOL? Um, again, this is sort of what I was alluding to earlier. Were, was there ever a fear that Okay, like say AOL especially, they're trying to be the the gateway to everyone onto the web. Well, why don't they just throw, you know, 300 people and make their own directory? Was there a fear that someone would come along and do a better directory? No, not really a, a better directory. You know, I, I, AOL, I think we didn't fear as much. I mean, they had a dominant market position, but... The reason we didn't fear them is because they had a walled garden and we had absolute faith that the internet and the openness of the internet was going to win, right? There were days where, I, you know, it, it just seemed like they were everywhere and we, and, you know, maybe had a few moments of doubt like, wow, maybe, maybe a walled garden will, will win the day, but they were really few. Um, we just, we just had, uh, this faith that the openness would win and when the openness would, wins, we would um, we would win with it. Uh, there was no doubt AOL had had the financial capacity to put 300 people on it and, and build a directory, um, but they favored their own content, um, and we knew that would ultimately be their Achilles heel. And you can't build a directory. They would have a hard time philosophically kind of deciding how do you do a directory that that's open, that points out to the Internet um, and doesn't favor what's inside inside the walled garden. And, and um, you know, and ultimately that's because if they do a directory that that kind of mimics ours, they're, they're going to be promoting openness. Right. So uh, we weren't super worried about them. We were we were definitely you know, spent a lot of cycles worrying about Microsoft um, just because at the time they were Microsoft, right? They were dominant. They had a, a history of, of picking off successful startups in Silicon Valley and killing them. Um, you know, we had friends at Microsoft at the time, and I remember um, 
this was this was in the summer of '95, um, and uh, one of our friends forwarded one of Bill Gates' you know famous emails uh, that he would send around to everyone, and he sent out an, an email about the internet, and they, they were just kind of awakening to the internet, and he talks about the internet, and the very last line of his email was, "My favorite website, Yahoo, cool, cool, cool." Um, and so we got the email. We're like, wow, Bill Gates knows about us. How cool. And then we were like, oh shit, Bill Gates knows about us. Um, and they were just, they were just so big and, and, um, I don't know, predatory is the word, but aggressive, um, very, very competitive. Uh, and, and so we were just naturally worried about them. You know, at the time it seemed like they could do whatever they wanted to. Uh, what were people searching for back then? Uh, was it just uh, trying to find sites? Was it the inf- you know you you, you, yeah. use, you use search now to answer questions? Was it was it different early on? Yeah, you know it was really just informational at the time, right? You, certainly a, a a fair bit of it was was pornography early on. A, l- a um, large percentage. Uh, yeah, maybe a I, you know I don't know the exact kind of a, a quarter of the traffic probably mm-hmm. uh, was related to that in some way. So, so fairly significant, you know, it obviously as things got more mainstream, that percentage went down. Um, the big usages were really just, just informational. I, I, I remember one of the things that got me that really got my attention um, about what the internet could become was, you know, I'm, I'm a huge sports junkie and, and I used to watch ESPN all the time and, you know, back in the back in the mid '90s, they would put, you know, they have this ticker on the bottom of the TV screen that updates scores and everything, mm-hmm. um, and they ran it every half hour. And if you didn't catch it on the half hour, you'd have to wait another half hour to figure out if you know if my Tigers had won won their ball game. Um, but the internet, you could log on and find out immediately what was going on. Um, and you know, so I was saving however many, you know. 20 minutes at a time every time. Uh, and, and so the whole idea of kind of real-time information and finance as well uh, were really big drivers early on, um, giving mainstream people access to, to real-time information that they always had to wait for, or had to, to, to do something, you know, weather, things like that. I think that drove a lot of it. Um, the other thing early on was information about products too. Um, you know, people researching, buying cars, um, things like that. It, it was, you know, it really wasn't a transactional or a communications medium the way it is today. Uh, it was really about getting access to information that was not necessarily unattainable at the time, but just took a lot of time to, to get that info. Are, are you involved in some of these, um, these partnerships that, that deliver this content, like, you know, partnerships with CNN and, and to get sports scores and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and, and, um, you know, the one that, uh, comes to mind is our initial relationship with Reuters, you know, at the time, uh, this is CNN was online, but, um, uh, I think they might've been the only kind of prominent website, um, delivering news and, you know, they had ads and, and, uh, a lot of pointers back to their, their TV show where they were making most of the money. Um, but yeah, we worked with Reuters to bring news on 
for essentially for free. You know, we we obviously did a, a revenue split with with writers. Right. I'm uh, assuming most of those most of those relationships were revenue shares for the, with the ad. yeah at the time absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's with organizations who were very forward looking. You know, Reuters was a you know for a company that was 150 years old, and we dealt with them. They were amazingly forward thinking. So you guys uh, ended up IPOing uh, pretty quickly. I mean, uh, Yahoo's only incorporated in March of '95, and the the IPO is April of '96. So that's just slightly over a year. Um, was what was the the motivation for the IPO? Was it just the the slipstream of the hype from from the Netscape IPO and the web in general? Um, was it was it everybody? All the other search engines were going public. What was the motivation to do the IPO? It, it was really for competitive reasons. Um, you know, we uh, we had enough cash in the bank. We we had done a deal with with SoftBank, so we were uh, we were safe that way. We did raise money in the IPO, but it was really about the ability to um, acquire other companies um, and having a public uh, currency, if you will, our stock, the, the ability to to, to buy companies was critical to competing with, with everyone else, right? Because if you're a private company, you either have to pay all cash, which obviously right. doesn't scale, and, or you're arguing over your value. Um, and being a public company made it much, much easier to, to, to do that. Um, you know, Tim Kuhl, who was our CEO at the time, was uh, very clear on that. And, and, you know, I think we went... We knew it was too early for us as an organization to be a public company, but it, it, it was critical from a competitive standpoint to be able to to be able to do that. It's it's sort of like table stakes if you're going to be competing in that era, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one other question uh, about this era, you know, Yahoo seems to have made a very specific decision to brand itself. You know, the purple, the even the name, the how. How conscious a decision was it that okay we're going to make ourselves a household name and and that's going to be sort of our key to success? I'm very it was it was very deliberate. It was um, you know maybe when Jerry and Dave were thinking up the name it wasn't that you know that clear in their minds but but you know going from a um, you know essentially a, a text page to a graphical page and and designing that logo er, everything we did was about you know, trying to connect with, with a mainstream consumer. Uh, jumping ahead the, to, to, the, to the portal kind of era, how does that evolve in, as a strategy? Is it just you, you keep coming up with, with new cool tools for the users to use? Is it a strategy that evolves because, you know, it, it allows you to deliver more page views and more ads? Uh, how, did, how did the portal strategy sort of evolve? Was that conscious? You know, it, it's funny. The word "portal" is is not one that we came up with. It, it to my recollection, it, it came out of you know the Wall Street analysts who were trying to describe something more than a search engine. You know, we we uh, we had always had that plan, right? We the way we thought about it is, you know, what do we do to make our our users' lives more convenient? How do we become the center of their day? Right. And, and they ultimately, uh, you know, called it a portal. Um, uh, so just 
a handful of things that were, you know, that were obvious to us, you know, news. I think we, we did a deal with Reuters in early 95, right? So, you know, in terms of branching out from, from just searching websites, you know, it was, it was very early, uh, that thought, it was always part of kind of Jerry and Dave's vision to do that. Um, it was never to, to, to stay just a, a directory. Um, and things just progressed, you know, once we saw, once we put news up, we saw how it was being used, you know, uh, I won't use the word obvious, but it was, it was pretty clear what needed to happen next. Uh, you know, stock, uh, stock quotes, sports scores, um, you know, the, the list just went on and on. But what, but what about things like, you know, adding email, adding calendars, that sort of thing? Like you guys, is it true you guys, uh, originally turned down Hotmail? Yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, yeah, I was, I was part of that team, uh, that said no to that. <laughs> um, uh, yes, we, we originally turned down, uh, those guys, Sabir and, and Jack, um, didn't understand it. You know, again, at the time it was largely an informational medium and those guys foresaw, you know, the, just the power, uh, of, of the net as, as communications medium. We quickly, you know, realized our mistake and, and went out and found, uh, uh, a company Mail. called four and one, right. right. Which did rocket mail and, and, uh, did a pretty good job of, of recovering from, uh, that mistake, but uh, yeah, so I think you know someone else showed us the way on that, right? And I think once we understood it, um, you know, because a lot of what I just described, the uh, news and stock quotes and and sports scores, again, all informational. Uh, you know, once the communication and and kind of product productivity side of things became clear to us, you know, we added that on as well. But I mean, towards the end of the '90s, there you guys are are really sort of an 800 pound gorilla at this point, competing with not just Excite anymore, but with with Microsoft, AOL for for some of these acquisitions. Um, were you involved in in that period when you know it, it seemed it felt like every other month there was you know another big purchase, and so now there's Yahoo stores and there's um, like I said, ca- go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, absolutely. I was, I was involved. You know, I was, I was running products, so trying to organize them all and make sense of, of, um, you know, this collection of, of uh, features, if you will, was, was my job. Um, so yeah, I was, I was definitely involved. It was, it was a crazy time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking. You know, now deals are in the billions of dollars when we're talking about like broadcast dot com and. And GeoCities and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah. Looking back on that time it, again, G- there's a bunch of ways to look at. Let's take GeoCities. You know, at the time, uh, it seems like an obscene amount of money uh, to pay for uh, for that. But again, it, it, uh, we were competing on reach and, and a whole bunch of other things that GeoCities added to us. Uh, allowed us to to offer advertisers kind of this this greater reach uh, that made a whole lot of sense that allowed us to continue to compete um, with with the big boys if you will um, and and so you know it wasn't always just about putting together 
uh, a coherent set of, of properties. It was, um, you know, with our advertisers in mind as well. Um, do you remember, uh, did you guys have a sense, a feeling of when things started to turn a little bit and, and the bubble starting to burst? Because, I mean, obviously you would have had, you would have been right there on the front lines. You would have seen maybe uh, advertisers starting to go away and things like that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't have a, a, a great sense of it. I was on the user side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe someone on the sales team would, um, would have had a, a better sense. Maybe not. Um, everything was growing, right? Everything continued, even through the, the downtime, the downtime was, was from a, from a revenue standpoint, not from a usage standpoint. Um, you know, things continued to, to grow through it. Um, and so, you know, I think it, my recollection of things, it, it, we didn't do a good job of servicing our, our paying clients and, um, we were able to get away with it for a little while. And then it just kind of reached a point where, you know, the emperor had no clothes and, and, uh, once the dam broke things, you know, things just came undone really quickly. I think that's an important point to make is that even with the bust, it, it might have been a, a bust in terms of dollars, but it's not like people stopped using the Internet. You know, it, I'm, I'm imagining that your your user numbers stayed steady, continued to go up as, as people are still coming onto the inter Internet for the first time. Yeah. If I showed you a log of our usage, you would have no idea when the bubble burst. Mm hmm. Right. It's just it's this continual uh, chart up and to the right unabated. But having said that, how much concern from the money side, you know, is there a concern that, hey, maybe this whole thing has been a fad and, and as a business, it's not sustainable? Was was there ever a sense that that maybe the jig is up and, and the party's over? No, I, I don't think so. I think at least in my mind, the only question was like, is is this. A, a just a giant business or is this a medium sized business? There was, there was no question in, in my mind anyways, the long-term value ability to deliver advertisers value on the internet is far exceeds any other medium, right? Um, in terms of accountability and who's seen your ad and things like that. So I knew the long-term uh, prospects continued to be bright uh, you know, we kind of knew it was a, a growing pain if, you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of the advertisers just, you know, moved money from other mediums to internet because that's what the peer pressure was telling them to do. And then when they didn't have results after a few years, that's, that's kind of when it happened. But, but the promise of the internet didn't change. Um, so the only question was in this period where we needed to learn quickly how to do a better job with our advertisers, you know, would we be able to sustain all of the user services that we had in play? Right. And, and if we didn't, we would, you know, if we ended up having to downsize or, or cut programs, you know, would we become a, a smaller business? And I, I think in my mind, that was the only question. There was no, in terms of viability, what we were doing, delivering value to the users and then delivering value to the advertisers, I mean, that that I think never, at least in my mind or, or certainly in the sense around the company, that we never wavered in that.
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Um, Can you talk a little bit about Google? Do you remember um, Google coming on the scene? Um, did, Did it just feel like, oh, well, here's another attempt at text search and so maybe it's just another it's like excite 2.0 or something like that no we knew we knew right away we were we were uh uh could be in trouble right um and again this is a time just about that time there, there was there was this inflection point in the web where you you expected things to be online before you would be you would be happy if like you were looking for something and there was a website about right, it. Right, right. Uh, all right. Um, and now at this point when Google shows up, you know, if you, you know, search for 13th century Italian poets, you expected a list of things. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and up until the time that full text search folks, we, you know, we had just kind of, we did year long deals and we, we flipped back and forth be, between providers to provide our, our fall off search. And, and when Larry and Sergey showed up and, and wanted to show us what they did, we were, uh, we knew, we knew it was different and, and we didn't think, you know, I talked a little bit about leapfrogging. Um, we thought they would always be incremental leapfrogs and this one was clear to us that it was different. Mm -hmm. And they, they were one of your fall off providers for a while, right? Yeah, I forget the exact relationship, but yes, we they they I think for maybe a year, year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, we worked with those guys. Mm-hmm. And um, there uh, there was the acquisition offer at some point that that, yeah. that didn't get taken up. Um, and also, were you involved with the the overture acquisition at all? You know, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't involved in that one. Okay. Yeah, because I that's something that people don't remember is that. You know what? What becomes AdWords and AdSense? Well, not AdSense, but AdWords. That model is sort of was pioneered by GoTo and Overture, and yeah. and goes to Yahoo first, actually. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's essentially that's the model that Google succeeds with, but you also you guys also have it almost before they do. That uh, yeah, but but uh, um, integrating. You know, it was it was driven by the um, uh, the sales team, and and it took us a little while to kind of fully grasp what uh, what, what we needed to do with that. And so I, you know, I think Google, just the evolution of their company, it was it was uh, probably baked in a little bit earlier into their DNA, and and easier for them to move on it. Um, you know, at the time that we we acquired Overture, we were you know, we're a big company and, and had been operating, uh, apparently successfully (laughs) for, Mm -hmm. for a few years. And so there was some resistance, uh, to, to messing with kind of what were search results in our heads. As delicately as I can ask this, I mean, 
is there something in retrospect looking back that that yahoo could have done differently to not seed that sort of crown to google um was it was it taking the eye off the ball of of that of, of search as like the main function you know i i I ask myself this question uh, every once in a while. I, I think in the context of what we did, almost all the decisions we made were rational, right? We, we truly, you know, PageLink was something novel that we didn't, unless we thought of that uh, um, or knew about it, um, we didn't think Google could do what they did. And, and by the time we knew it was going on, it was, it was too late for us to react to it and respond to it in a competitive way. Um, uh, we were also, you know, we were a public company with, uh, billions of dollars in revenue. And so, uh, kind of switching course, if you will, uh, uh, was, was pretty hard for us to do. Um, and the other thing was that that isn't often noted, like at the time, Wall Street analysts were pushing on us hard to diversify our offering. So the idea of doubling down in an area that we were perceived as already kind of dominating, uh, search, um, would have been not very well received um, uh, in the investment community, and so there was there was some you know some pressure almost not to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it just looking back on it, I don't think there was was I don't I don't remember a meeting where I said to myself I can look back and say wow that's where we that's where we made the mistake. Mm -hmm. um, given, given the information and the evidence we have had at the time, you know, our decisions were rational. So, uh, how long did you stay at Yahoo? When did you actually end up leaving? I left in, uh, early 2003. And, um, it's funny, it, this keeps coming up. A lot of people I interview, they've gone on to do startups in, in the education arena and, You've done two, uh, QuestBridge, and now you're with uh, Imagine K12, right? That's right. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, uh, why does that seem to be um, an area that 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 guys have had their one success or their two, three successes, and they want to take another crack at it, and, and they 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 go at education? Why do you think that is? Um, you know, that's not the way I I. I thought about it and um, i don't i don't mean as like yeah. an, a way to make a score but i mean that's your end like okay this is the problem i want to solve now yeah it's funny you know i got into QuestBridge not because i was uh interested in education necessarily um you know i i, I took a little time off and and then you know i missed working with really smart people and doing operations right and it's what i did at yahoo and and um so i ran into a friend of a friend who was he and his wife were the, the, the co-founders of Quest, and they were describing this idea for QuestBridge. And the idea just seemed cool to me, regardless of whether it was ed education or not. And, and they needed help building a, a company and, and, and scaling an operation. And, and so that's really why I, I worked with QuestBridge, not because 
I, I set my sights in education, you know, almost after the fact, after I had been working at QuestBridge for three to four years, did I really just fall in love with the, with, with the industry of education. Um, you know, and I think, you know, imagine K-12 is kind of the next step there combining kind of the, the, the tech piece and, and, um, you know, kind of a deliberate effort specifically in education. QuestBridge kind of came about in a, in, in a roundabout way. Did I only end up in education? Well, tell us a little bit about what Imagine K-12 does, though. Uh, it's an accelerator for uh, startup companies, largely software, that are focused on uh, the, the education industry, specifically K-12. through um, You know, one of the things, that one of the impetuses for doing what I'm doing is, you know, I have, I have two young children, and I remember looking at schools for them, public, private, charter, every, everything. And, and in every circumstance, I would go into these schools and it would feel like uh, the 80s to me. In fact, it would feel like the 70s when I went to school. Uh, there was really no, when I compared it to how dramatically my personal life and, how, and business life had changed over the last 15 years, schools re- remained untouched. And uh, so, you know, you marry that up with kind of what you read in, in, the national media and what I had learned in, in running QuestBridge, uh, you know, both the very unequal uh, status of schools around the country and on average, you know, pretty poor results um, uh, versus other country, other developed countries. Um, it seemed like technology could help. And, you know, having the experience that I had, I knew that startups were a good source of innovation. Um, and, uh, Paul Graham, who, uh, was the founder of one of the companies Yahoo, um, acquired back in 98, right. Via uh, web and, and ultimately became Yahoo store. Pa- Paul had started an inc- an accelerator called Y Combinator who, you know, it is, was, and is kind of the, the preeminent accelerator. And, and so, uh, me and my partner here at Imagine K12, before we started, it went to Paul and said, Hey, you, you know, what do you think about this idea? We're going to do what you do, but just really focus it on, on K-12. And, you know, he was super supportive uh, and said, hey, you know what? I see a ton of ed tech applications and I don't know what to do with them because I know it needs a concerted effort. And, and you know, we can't be that focused on a specific industry here at, at, at YC. So, uh, you know, that's once he said it was a good idea, kind of that was that was the last straw to, to go out and. Uh, you know, try to get some innovative, innovative companies, you know, focused on, on bringing technology, good technology into schools. Well, my, my final question is always the cheesiest one, but you know, a lot of these things we're talking about have really neat, uh, 20 year anniversary timelines coming up now. Um, (laughs) when you, when you look back on this stuff, um, the web in general, the technology, the industry, is it, is it, everything you thought it would be is it more than you thought it would be or or maybe has it not lived up to to what you imagined it could be at this point you know it's uh i was able back in the midnight i was able to kind of foresee a lot you know you had no idea how long it would take to unfold a lot of people kind of foresaw uh certainly the communications aspect and and the transaction transactional aspect um but the social, you know, the social media kind of revolution that that we're currently going through, uh, 
way exceeds what uh, this is kind of the first era where I, I I think back on my time, you know, heavy in the industry and, and couldn't couldn't really imagine a lot of what's going on, uh, what's going on today. So um, so in that sense, it, sense it exceeds it. Um, but from a communications and, and you know, e-commerce standpoint, um, yeah, it's it's everything I, I you know, I, I hoped it would become. Right. And, you know, it continues to get better. Um, and, you know, I'm interested to see what's, you know, what's next. Well, uh, Tim Brady, thank you for, for taking the time to remember all this for us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.